Hey, welcome to Reflection as a Service. I'm Paul Merrill. I'm joined by my co-host. That's me, James. And we're here to talk today about software engineering and entrepreneurship. Today, we've got a really great guest, Jared Richardson, and I'm looking forward to introducing him and having him on the show. First, James, how are things going? They're going pretty good. You know, it's it's getting the time of year where the shadows are getting longer and uh, the leaves are turning and uh, I actually started digging on some of the projects that I got to finish for the end of the year. And I think I told you a little while ago, I actually got a lot of work done today and I realized, oh, it's because I had email turned off. Ah, so, e- turning off the email, that old trick. Yeah. And everybody's like, where's James? We can't get him on email. No, that was just in the morning. The afternoon was pretty quiet, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> Right. What about you? Well, I actually wrote about that this week. I wrote about that idea. I put out two posts. One was about uh, the idea of automation engineers and how we should be dividing their time or using their time most wisely. And one of the comments that I made in that post was about the fact that when I'm writing software, there are still times after 17 years of doing this, there are still times when I have to turn off email, I have to turn off Slack, I have to turn off all my notifications and just focus for like four hours or a day or two days sometimes to get something done. Yeah. Now you work out of your house. I do. Yes. And I work out of my house. You do. Now, not exclusively. I know we, we sometimes will be in someone's office, but when we are working from home, I'm wondering if you have the same, the same challenge I do where you're, you've got to be focused and you, you, you really need to get something done, but somebody in your family really needs something and they'll, and they'll, and they want, they really need something from you or they really have to express something. And you're, like, like, how to diplomatically tell them, Daddy can't turn away from the screen right now without being rude about it. <laughs> well, I have doors that I can close, so that helps me a little bit. Yeah. But sometimes I hear that blood-curdling scream of a young kid, and I just have to go see what's going on. See what's going That's on. just the way it is. With the younger so, kids, yeah. Yeah. With my son, Isaac, he knows how to dial 911. <laughs> right. He's old enough. <laughs> you can stare at your screen for as long as you yeah. want, right? Right. It's when they stop screaming, that's when you get worried. <laughs> well, that's, I guess that's enough talk about interruptions. Maybe we can talk about that some more sometime because I think it's something that's easily overlooked in the software community. Tonight, we have Jared Richardson. I'm thrilled to have him on here. Um, Jared is co-founder of the Grows Methodology. He is a coach, instructor, author, and speaker. He's a principal consultant and member of the core team at Agile Artisans. He sold his first software program in 1991 and has been immersed in software ever since. He's authored a number of books, including the best-selling Ship It, a practical guide to software, successful software projects and career 2.0, Take Control of Your Life. Jared lives with his wife and children in Morrisville, North Carolina, where they, quite by accident, became backyard chicken farmers. Really? Jared, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Really enjoying it. Well, this is going to be fun. I just saw you out at Star West where you were the closing keynote speaker. I was out on the West Coast. You know, you're one of those guys. I live in the same town with you. I think maybe you're five miles away and I only see you in Orlando, Vegas and Anaheim, you know, at the conference cities. And, and tonight we're recording this virtually. I'm still not in the same room with we're you, but you know, <laughs> I know. And what are we maybe 20, 15, 20 miles apart right now? Yeah. Yeah. Same county. It's, you not, know. it's not far at all. We're actually over here in Raleigh right now. Yeah, But I don't think I see you luckily otherwise. I know. And so Triagile, that's one of your conferences, right? Don't you play a part in that conference and organizing it? I, I do. I do. I work with Tom Wessel, the uh, the guy 
behind Southern Fried Agile, whose T-shirt I'm actually wearing at this moment. Um, nice. Tom moved to the Raleigh area, and there have been a number of us on each on the committee each year, but Tom and I have been the only two that have been on it every single year. So yeah, Try Agile. Gosh, last year we were up to 650. That and was, um, it's a good size conference. It was awesome. Yeah. Well, this year we've got Linda Rising for the opening keynote and Steve Denning for the close. This will be the first year we don't have Andy Hunt as our closing keynote. It's March 30th. You know, go ahead and put in the plug, tryagile.com. It's all live and ready for you to sign up and become sponsor. Love to have you. We'll probably, heck, I don't know, seven or 800 this year. I It, it, it keeps selling out, and we're, we're bumping up on the space for the location we're at, and, and I think it can handle 900 to 1,000. I don't know that I want to handle that many bags. You know, you got to stuff <laughs> bags. you got to... You, We've been bailing, sort of saying, hey, you're an attendee, here's your bag, and here's a whole pile of stuff. Why don't you come stuff the bag yourself? You know, it's a la carte. That's better, right? And uh, I hear so, you, yeah. Make your own bag. Oh, yeah, the lazy organizers. That's the- <laughs> now, last year, you guys actually had volunteers helping out. We do every year. Um, one of the things with Triagile, it's a nonprofit. We've always kept the uh, the cost right around a hundred dollars. I think last year it might have gone to one twenty, one thirty. It's not a you know one thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollar event. But you know, we, we're if you want to come for free, you volunteer. You can help run a room. You can help run the front desk. You can help. Uh, there, there's all sorts of things you can do. We um, we comp in anyone in high school or college that wants to attend. It's more about building the community than it is making money. And we take the money that we we do make because I mean even at a hundred dollars a pop, we we still turn a very nice profit. And all of that money is donated, and that goes to nonprofits. So it's it's a it's a nice event. It's yeah. a very nice. Event. I, and I was so impressed. I, I mean, the talent around here is exceptional. I believe. I mean, the people who it's were crazy. there last year, we had. You know, international speakers like Bob Galen doing workshops in rooms of, you know, 20 to 50 people. And you could get right there and talk to him and ask questions. And Mary Thorne, who is a keynote speaker at StarWest as well. You had uh, Matt Phillips, who is a has terrific, agile mind. Um, mm-hmm. Who else was there? Let's see. Josh Anderson from School Dude was there. Uh, Jurgen Appel. Yeah. Oh, man. He was terrific, too. His keynote. Larry Macharone. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was um, terrific. So I'm looking forward to it again this year. I can't wait. David Hussman was there. I mean, it's it, now see the first group of people you mentioned, right? So you didn't mention Andy Hunt. He he helped write that little Agile Manifesto thing. Okay. You know, the pragmatic Sorry. publisher. Well, I, I mean, he's him. I don't know him very well. well. I know his name. Andy's I know local. That he's, yeah, right. Andy's local. You're local. Matt Phillips is local. Ken Pugh is local. Mary Thorne is local. Bob Galen lives like three miles from here. It's we are really blessed in in the Research Triangle Park. Um, we have some amazing talent centered here. It's we're really very, very lucky with the folks that we have. Absolutely. I wonder what percentage of those people worked at IBM at some point <laughs> in their career. Oh, I'm serious. I, I did. Yeah. So that, that was that was my first um, first coding job that wasn't freelance. Was doing uh, small talk to C the Corba Bridge Psalm. Um, and in the small world, when I first got on the conference speaking tour with no fluff, just stuff, one of the guys I was speaking with was a, a guy named Bruce Tate, who's written a few books in the Java space, you know, Bitter EJB and some others, Seven Languages in Seven Weeks. And Bruce wrote was on the team that wrote the first pass of that Corba model out in Texas. And then I 
was one of the people debugging it and writing patches for it, and then later we end up on the same stage, you know, a dozen times. So I, I have to say, for all the millennials out there, Jared just dated himself <laughs> to an earlier, an earlier time, a more civilized time. When small talk was a, was a language you could make a living at. Yeah. You said C++, and I was like, oh, there we go. We were at lunch one day. It was um, one of the ladies who organizes the local PMP conference. It was Tom Wessel, who does Southern Fried Agile and Tri-Agile, and myself. And, and we're sitting around talking about how we got our career. And I started talking about my first gig was, was writing. It was independent gig. It was writing C, hacking database files to write reports that would print out on a wideband ASCII black, you know, dot matrix printer. And then I went to Smalltalk and I was doing C, C++. And at one point, the PMP lady, who's significantly younger, looks up at me and says, how old are you? And I'm like, shut up. Everybody, everybody used to do Smalltalk and C. That's, that's how everybody got started. Go away. Get off my lawn. So funny. You know, I look at that now. I hear those things now and I think, Oh my goodness, how much experience is there and how many goodies of experience and stories and things must be there. And I really appreciate it at this point in my career. When I used to hear that, it was just a method of people that people would use to date themselves. And it was really annoying when I was younger to hear that. <laughs> so I think it's worth saying, I imagine you've gotten into some of these newer languages and, and newer things, right? Um, the last time, so I'm full-time people these days. Um, so Okay, I'll date myself a bit more. We were chatting before, and you were talking about you know the kids being small enough. You hear them yelling when you're working at home. You got to go deal with them, or or James, your kid's old enough to dial nine one one. My kid's in Nicaragua this week on vacation by herself. Um, she, she's there with a friend, but it's not a family, right? My mine are thirteen and eighteen now, so mine are pretty much grown up. And there's a pattern I've noticed with with techies that are independent who do the type of coaching and the type of thing I do, which is to say I don't get paid to write code anymore. And they tend to not write code in the evening, the sanity hacking project. They tend to fall out of code when their kids hit about middle school. Wow. And, and they stay out of it until the kids actually go to college. And once the kids go to college and they get free time again, they dive right back in and keep going. So I'm I'm holding out hope. It's I'm, I'm coming back. I swear. Um, the last serious code I wrote probably seven eight years ago, Ruby on Rails work. Yeah. I really like Ruby, um, and Rails is pretty awesome too. And I you know you, you guys I, I know Paul you work with Cucumber and whatnot. You see the things like Active Record and Rails out of the box, man. Here's your database management. We can stage the schema. We can create it, you know, drop it, recreate it, load your sample data. And in technologies like, like Java and .NET, that is still a black art to those communities. There's so much productivity you can pick up if you can get out of your own ecosystem. Are you, you know, if you're a Java person, learn Python, learn, learn Rails, learn C Sharp. And pick up those tips and tricks that the other ecosystem takes for granted and your ecosystem hasn't discovered yet. It makes you look really, really smart to the people you work with. It really does. And i got to tell you, there are some things that are very difficult to change back and forth with. So we had, I had one project or, or the team, my team had one project where we were working on C sharp. And so you're in visual studio and you've got these, this package manager, new Git or whatever it's called. And it's, it's somewhat clumsy to work with. 
uh, and, and I had been in Node for a while before that. And the N- NPM, that package manager, is comparatively terrific. And then going back over to Java and trying to use Maven and configuring Maven. Look, I remember, you know, I, I remember before Ant. And I remember how great Ant was for setting yeah. up things. And then I remember after Ant, we had, you know, Maven come in. And it's like, oh, this is absolutely terrific. But the world has moved on in so many of these ways and so many of these languages. I'm totally right there with you. Totally agree. Yeah, it's that, that cross-pollination thing is pretty good. What Dave and Dave Thomas and Andy Hunt, when they wrote the Pragmatic Programmer, they suggested you learn one language a, a year, the language of the year. Gosh. Pick up one new language. Just play with it. Soak in until it starts. There's elegance in everything, right? It, go learn Erlang and stick with Erlang until it starts to look elegant. Then then run screaming in the night, but no, I'm, I'm kidding. Um <laughs> You, you can move up off of Erlang and look at things like um, Phoenix is the web interface on top of it. And what's the shoot the name of the uh, the language that's on top of Erlang? It escapes me at the moment. Dave Thomas just did a book on it. James uh, left to go get something out of the oven, so <laughs> he, would, he would have the answer. Are, are we going to eat? Son, my son decided that um, he needed to fire a air dry clay project. Now, oh, okay. So, all right, that's taking so care. Not Sorry about that. Just to be clear, we're not eating. Okay. All no, right. not yet. All right, darn. Our going next. Darn. Okay. Um. <laughs> you leak this stuff in. This is color commentary. <laughs> so I miss. I miss elixir. Out. Elixir. Is, yes. That's the new. That's the new sweet juice that dribbles down your chin when you're when you're eating. No, 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 no. That's Phoenix. You got to. <laughs> yeah. So one. Phoenix is to elixir as as Rails is to Ruby. Correct. Right. So, so one of the things Andy Hunt does is he's a, a Halloween guy, and he always turns his garage into a haunted house on Halloween, which, you know, okay, whatever, you like Halloween, but he runs the whole thing, right? The skeleton that pops out, the air, the, the, the smoke, it's all run off of Raspberry Pis running of Phoenix. Of course it is. I mean, yeah, of course <laughs> it is, jerk. I mean, come on, how much free time do you have? But yeah, he's... But, you know, Elixir, Phoenix, this, this, these are the things you've got to play with. Pick up new tips and tricks. New language of the year. Every year, learn one new major technology. And JavaScript toolkits don't count because you write five of those before lunch. <laughs> and apparently they do. <laughs> well, you've got to reverse the string somehow. <laughs> Back in my day. What, oh, we need is a, what we need is a package manager. Manager. Oh, good idea. Well, yeah, Ansible. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of what those are, right? Orchestration tools, that's almost what they do. Yeah. Stage your laptop. I think, I think what you mentioned about the age of your children, like once they start hitting middle school, that's when you you really can't, eat, I mean, you just don't have the resources in terms of time to devote to all of the, the work. Uh, but because that's what I'm finding. My son just got into high school and like the most of the time I get paid for is not for writing the code. It's, it's for the other stuff that goes along with it. Well, you know, you only get a little bit of time with your kids, That's right? True. You know that they're small, they're, they're, they're sponges, they're soaking, and then you, you realize one day there's a real person here, and you get some time to invest in this real person before they discover the outside world, they start dating, you become irrelevant, and, and they're gone. So I spend a lot of my spare time with my kids, during this time period, I mean, Paul saw me in California, and I had my 13-year-old with me. 
I, I do um, most of my conferences, either the family goes and I turn it into a family vacation because I'm too cheap to actually pay for a vacation. Um, <laughs> okay, not that bad. Though. Okay, that bad. But um, if it's a, not a family vacation, either my 18-year-old daughter comes with me or my 13-year-old comes with me. And it's, you know, it's a daddy-daughter week. Last, last week it was in uh, California. You know, I taught a class on Tuesday. It flew out with her on Monday, taught half a day on Tuesday. Wednesday, we did Disneyland. Thursday, we hung out at the pool. I did the closing keynote. And then Friday, we flew home. It, you know, so it's, uh, I don't know, quality time. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool that you take your kids with you. Um, I know Paul has got some notes, and he reminded me of the <laughs> elephant in the room, which is which is grows. Um it grows on you. It, <laughs> is that the tagline? That I'm sure that's the first time you've it could be. used that joke. Um, no, well, the first time in this call, yes. Okay. <laughs> well, so okay, so I, you know, doing the research on crows and reading about it, you know, um, I've been working in the industry for, uh, we'll say, '99, so a little while now, and I've yep. seen the 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 agile uh, tsunami sort of crested and then washed over the landscape. Okay. Mm. And then it, I've seen the waters recede. But, um, and so I got to say, like, after, after X number of years, um, my personal uh, feelings about the promise that, that, you know, I saw and what, what agile was telling me, you know, from the manifesto days, um, yeah. it's for me, it's been a huge disappointment. Yeah. If only because the promise was, by goodness, we're we, this is this is how you get to the promised land. This is going to unleash the productivity. This is going to help eliminate uh, help us to eliminate waste. This is going to get rid of all the stupid practices that keep people from doing the jobs <laughs> that, that they need to do. You know what I'm saying? We so, got a whole new set of stupid practices, and we don't even know why we do them. Right. So, so my question is like, so, and I and I saw the site on Grows and began to read about it. And I'm like, I'm nodding my head at everything that I'm reading. But at the same yeah. time, like I still have a lot of skepticism. Like, okay, is this like sell me on grows from the from my mindset of being? I'm skeptical to see another another person talking about this time. We're going to do agile right. Well, uh, we're going to do agile different. Different. So if so, there's a slide that gets carted out at all the agile conferences these days that everybody likes to use, and it's it's the the chaos report Gardner's. I think 2015 maybe, and it says, you know, waterfall projects fail 84% of the time. And and then it goes on to say Agile is three times safer. Agile, you know, in, instead of having this percent or that percent, and, and we're three times safer, we're more, three times more likely to complete the project. You know, every metric, Agile's three times better than waterfall, and everybody goes, yay, Agile. But what they don't really look at is that means that Agile isn't even 50-50. Agile fails 60% of the time. So does that, I mean, does the metric hold up or are they just, are we just... Oh, yeah. Software, we don't know how to do software yet. They keep comparing us to bridge builders and architects. I mean, they were building bridges and roads and buildings, you know, before the Romans came around. They've got a couple thousand years on us. We don't even have a couple decades, right? I mean... Back in the 60s and the 70s is when this all started. We don't even have 100 years. We don't know what we're doing. We're constantly reinventing the wheel. 
So these guys come together and, and write the Agile Manifesto thinking that all these different Agile practices are going to pop up and we're going to have this manifestation of practices that are changed. Well, the team looks at it. They inspect and adapt. But what did we get? XP still looks a lot like XP did before the manifesto was written. Scrum still looks just like Scrum did. And Scrum says inspect and adapt, but what the teams do is they inspect and replicate. They go, what what were the three questions we were supposed to do that they taught us in the class? Yep. What were the, what were the ceremonies they taught us in the class? Now, there's a lot of reasons for that, and, and I actually think Scrum does what it does really well, which is a project management methodology. But Scrum assumes you have the technical practices under your belt, which you know is obviously not the case. People aren't doing test first. They're not using continuous integrations finally out there, but every, every client I come into, and when we talk about continuous integration, they think they're doing cutting-edge work. And I'm going, no, people, 15 years, 20 years ago, CI was yeah. cutting-edge. It is not cutting edge. Um, you're, you're finally learning to wash your hands. Part of what Grows came out of is looking at Andy's work with uh, the, his book, Refactoring Your Wetware. They talked about the Dreyfus model of skills acquisition. And the Dreyfus model, you know, all models are broken, some are useful. The Dreyfus model talks about how we learn. And when you use the Dreyfus model to study how people learn, beginners need steps. It's how they learn. Um, experts operate in intuition. The steps slow them down. So you take a methodology like Scrum that has been packaged very nicely for a mass market, and it's a series of steps. It does a great job of taking beginners and, and getting them and making them marginally productive. And as long as they can follow the steps and run the ceremonies – it works great. But as soon as people try to get past the steps, why are we having a daily stand-up? Well, it's because Scrum says to have a daily No, it's not. It's because the team needs to be talking to one another. And if there's another way to do that, don't have the daily stand-up. I had a team one time. We were doing assessments because, you know, everybody loves a spreadsheet. And, and the assessment said, how often do you have a planning meeting? So I asked the, this new team, how often do you have a planning meeting? They said, we don't. And I said, zero. And, and then later I came back and said, why don't you have a planning meeting? And they said, well, the product owner sits right here with us. And every time a new feature, new story, new, new work comes in, he just rolls the chair over and says, hey, what about this? What about that? So we have our planning meetings ongoing every day. And we realized the formal meeting was redundant and we got rid of it. One might argue that's superior to meeting once a week, you know. <laughs> right. Like we, we, we tend to follow the practices slavishly without understanding what's behind them because we get stuck at, at the second or third level of the Dreyfus model. And we don't get past following the steps into intuition, into the, the wizard who sits in the corner. And when you ask that, that person for help, it's easier for, for them, for he or she, to just do the work for you than it is for them to remember how to break it down into steps and teach you. We, end, we get these segmented shops. So many Agile practitioners don't understand the principles. They've never seen the manifesto. They don't know why they're doing what they're doing. They've cargo-culted agility. They're following the steps they learned somewhere. So what we're trying to do with GROWS, um, 
we're trying to do a couple things with grows. It's, it's hard to get down to the elevator speech. One, if you go to the grows method website, we're trying to give you the Dreyfus model steps for level one, level two, level three, up to five. We're trying to bake in from day one, there is a learning curve. You need steps, but if you really want to be productive, later you'll throw the steps away. We don't want you to get trapped in those steps. We don't want you to get mired down in those steps. The other thing we're trying to do with grows that is different is we're trying to say from day one, this won't work if it's just the technical team. Developers and testers, good job. That's the bottom rung of the ladder. If you actually want to climb the ladder, we need to include your customers. We need to include your managers. If your executives are not getting trained right along with the team at the same time, you're wasting your time. Those agile adoptions, I call those agile grass fires, right? You get a bunch of teams, they're trained, they love it. Oh, wow, faster feedback, this is so cool. It flares up, the grass burns really hotly, and then one to two years later, the grass burns out. The team stumbles, the economy shrinks, the company has a bad quarter, management is given pressure to, to do something. So what do they do? They snap you back into what they've always done, which is waterfall because it worked 15 years ago. And suddenly you don't have an agile adoption anymore. So Grows is trying to come at this from a broader perspective. Executives want to share with you what they're doing. And so they, they write these mission statements, which don't communicate with you. So we're saying, okay, if you want to communicate with a technical team, I'm sorry, you guys got me on a roll here. No, go, go. I, I, Hey, I could listen to mission statement talk all day long because where you're coming from <laughs> totally, totally hits, a, um, hits me at the right spot. We come in, I'll talk to an exec, and I'll go, mission statements are stupid. And they always get the same <laughs> the same look. This, this, who do you think you are? And, and I say, look, go look at your people's cubes and look at how many Dilbert cartoons are taped up making fun of mission statements. And they go, oh, that for whatever reason, the Dilbert cartoon makes the light bulb go off. And I say, look, these people are working in epics, features, and stories. So let's communicate to them that way. All the work that's being done ties back to an initiative. So an initiative takes one to three years. An initiative takes years. Your, your company probably has three to five initiatives. Under that are maybe some themes. Then we come down to epics. So I like to say stories, a task, right, in a story. A task takes a couple hours. A story takes a couple days. A feature takes a couple sprints. A theme takes a couple quarters, and an initiative takes a couple years. But I want the executives to write those those top-level initiatives in the same way you write the stories. I want them to break it down into the same language as a, I want to move into the Midwest so that, aha, now here's the kicker, put dollars on it. They're asking you to devote the development organization for three to six months to some task they either want to make a couple million dollars or they want to save a couple million dollars. Let's. You want the dev, devs and testers to come in and tell you how long it's going to take. I want you to tell me how much money is on the table. So this makes it very difficult for the execs, but it's you know it's a good exercise, right? So we have all the work in a way we can put on the wall. These guys can see me on video, and I, I can't help. I'm talking with my hands here. You want to put this stuff on the wall. You want the developers and testers on any given team to say, this is the story I'm, I'm working on today. 
because it's a part of this feature, because it's a part of this epic, because it's a part of this initiative. These are the three initiatives my division is working on for the next two years. This is why I'm doing this work. No, no mushroom management. This is, I understand the big picture. I understand the vision. And this is the leadership finding an effective way to communicate with the team in the trenches. Now, the flip side of that, so the two complaints I get with, with the execs is they don't, the teams aren't building what they want, and they have no insight into how the progress and the work is, is coming forward. So the flip side of having a well-defined work structure where there's no orphans, no orphan work, and everything ties up to those initiatives, or that I can now say this release for this initiative has, make up some numbers here, has 17 features in it. If there's 17 features, which breaks down to, I don't know, 312 stories, I can now see how many stories are done, how many features are done, and say that we're 63% of our way through our time, but we're 10% of our way through our features. You're not going to get that. And we put all that into a nice burn-up chart. Burn-ups are easy to read. I can see that some clever executive added to the scope constantly, and so the, the <laughs> The commitment is angling up at the same rate that the development work is getting done, so you'll never – yeah. but you're making that visual so it's easy to consume. You're going with Alistair Coburn's uh, information radiators, right? Yeah. So yeah. what is different about GROWS, the Dreyfus model, the intentional experimentation concept – gosh, that was the whole keynote in California. I didn't even mention it um, – if you're going to try new technologies, if you're going to try new architectures, if you're going to try new testing tools, make it an experiment. Time box it. Tell me up front what you want to learn. This podcast is about entrepreneurship. You don't put everything, you don't put all your eggs in one basket and come back in six months and see if it's profitable. If you're bootstrapping, that's way too long. You're going to pick something. You're going to try it. You're going to intentionally experiment. You're going to time box it. You're going to say in, in one week and in, in a month. If this is not trending this way, if I'm not seeing some revenue growth, I'm going to shut it down. Let's do that with our technology choices. Let's do that with our product direction. Intention so grows. Intentional experimentation, the Dreyfus model of skills acquisition, include your executives, have a clear vision on what you want to build, and have a clear way to see what's happening, which is the burnout charts. We, we tell people you need the three R's when you're building software. The right rhythm which is Scrum practices. I mean, you can do it with Scrum or Kanban, but you want that regular cadence. Two, you want to build the right thing, which is to make sure that the vision that the, the technical teams have coincides with what the executives are expecting. That is rarely the case. And then the third R is you want to build things the right way, which then comes back to your technical practices. That's test first. That's two sets of eyes on the code, whether it's pair programming or peer code review. That's continuous integration, continuous testing, continuous monitoring. Whew. How's that for a long answer to a short question, James? That was a pretty good one. That's a great answer. So we've been talking with Jared Richardson. It sounds like there's a whole lot more to talk about here. Jared, are you okay coming back on in just a few minutes and we'll record another episode with you? Are you cool with that? Absolutely. All right, great. So you've been listening to Reflection as a Service with myself, Paul Merrill, and my co-host. James Jeffers. It's been a terrific conversation. I appreciate having you on. I appreciate all of you listening. Once again, this podcast is sponsored by Beaufort Fairmont, which is my company. We help teams transition into automated testing, and we also help teams 
do testing in an agile world in a way that syncs up with development. We'll, we'll get back <laughs> with you in a couple of weeks with the second episode here. And we're going to keep talking uh, in our time, in real time with Jared. <laughs>